We're back for season six of my podcast. I'm all about putting the human factor back into business by helping organisations become places where people are happy, well and able to perform at their best. And that's what my guests shed light on with their expertise and experience. As those who know me will be very familiar with, my mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. And that means we'll be covering a whole range of topics that impact on employee experience, engagement and mental well-being. And many of you will know that I hate tick boxes. So we'll be kicking those out, getting beneath the surface of shiny new initiatives, stripping back layers of complexity and going back to the fundamentals of good business. That's the people. This series runs alongside the launch of Leadership Labs and Manager Labs that I'm excited to be facilitating with the fabulous Gemma Ellison of Heart Leadership. These are interactive and dynamic communities that turn typical L&D on its head. If you are a manager or leader and want an opportunity to problem solve, challenge the status quo, experiment and evaluate all within a small supportive group, get in touch. More information and contact details are in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Lisa, psychologist, psychotherapist and founder of It's Time for Change. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Water Cooler. Just before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that this episode is a bit different. Amantha and I are continuing our conversation about the Resilience Collective. So here is the next episode in that series. So we are back today and we are joined by two fabulous guests, Jim Gabriel and David Saab. Um, but before introducing them properly, I'm just going to start by setting the scene a little bit because some of you may have joined Mantha and I before when we have been talking about the Resilience Collective. And that's um, all about a series of resources and talks like these, which are about different aspects of mental health. And we are about providing really practical advice and strategies for people to use um, in their personal lives and at work to help um, address and get rid of the elephant in the room and improve mental health and well-being. So I'm Lisa Lloyd. I'm a psychologist, psychotherapist and founder of It's Time for Change. And I basically work with companies to help them become places where people are able to feel really good, feel healthy and to perform really well. And Mantha, who I'm working really closely with on this project, we're, we're developing this stuff together. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Lisa. So my name is Amantha King. I'm a workplace menopause consultant. So I'm all about making sure that women stay in work. They don't step down, step back or step out uh, to help businesses be profitable and productive. And my other hat that I wear is I'm an executive performance coach. So it's all about helping people be the best versions of themselves in and out of work. Fab. And so I want to hear a little bit um, from Jim and David about, um, well, we know what they do, but for everyone else to know what they do and why they're here um, and also why they are particularly interested in this topic today when we are discussing anxiety and depression. So um, we know David Saab from um, our work with the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce um, and Mantha and I are both on the mental wellbeing steering group. So David, shall I come over to you first? Do you want to introduce yourself and what it is that keeps you busy? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm a business alliance manager at the Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce, which means I account manage the anchor institutions, the larger organisations in membership. So people like Sanofi, GWR, Thames Water, those kind of companies, um, and help them stay engaged in membership, shall we say, uh, mm. through a number of events activity. We're we're a business support group. So Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce, not-for-profit. Um, and my other hat is a mental wellbeing champion. Uh, so I kind of steer the outward-facing mental health work that we try and do, along with Lisa and Amanda on our steering group. So, yeah, that that's me. Thank you, David. And Jim Gabriel is Chief Commercial Officer at Card Medic. So you're someone who has experienced depression as a business leader. Um, so you've got really valuable insight to share with us today. But tell us a little bit more about your role, Jim. Yeah. Um, so hello, everybody. And thank you for that, Lisa. Um, as chief commercial officer, I'm uh, responsible for the sales, basically, in this new organization called Medic, very young business. And uh, it's my job, basically, to, to crank the whole sales machine in, 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 into life and then 
um, managed to scale up in, uh, in, in our ambitious world domination aspirations. Um, it, it is a, a classic high-tech, high-growth um, uh, startup environment. Uh, we've been going for a little bit longer than three years, so we're not really startup anymore, but we're definitely early stage. Um, the, the reason that I'm doing it is because I actually mentored the people at the beginning of this journey when they just literally thought up the idea and um, got so involved that when they asked me to uh, to actually join them, I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to, and, and, and jumped over. Um, I've spent my life in startups, so um, either my own or somebody else's, most of them high tech, not all of them, some of them in construction and other, and other fields, but mainly high tech, mainly software related. It's a, a, a sort of a high stakes game, really, really exciting because you can grow things very rapidly and achieve most amazing successes. But you can also have most amazing um, troughs in that and uh, in, in that journey. At startup stage, there's so much out there that will take you out, take you down, knock you sideways. That it's um, it, it is a, a a particular kind of ride that's not not for everybody. Um, and um, the reason that I'm still doing it is because I do absolutely love that 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 thing of getting something going from absolute nothing. But I I have learned that it is not for everybody for uh, a lot of reasons to do with mental health. I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a high stakes in anxiety and in depression and in risk and in fear and in, in um, threat to, uh, you know, to personal circumstances and all sorts of things. And, it, and I find it particularly shocking as I've become educated uh, about this space because of um, my, my, own, um, my, my own clinical depression, um, how high a proportion of founders of of businesses uh, um, take their own lives, and um, it's sort of, uh, uh, really quite shocking, very very upsetting. And having been in that position a lot, where you you have a sort of a, a parental responsibility for the people around you, um, you tend to pay yourself last. You tend to go to bed last. You tend to log off last. You tend uh, uh, it, you've always got the glass so full it's overflowing the loan half full and um and uh it's made me keenly aware that that the people i work with and have worked with most of my career have been the most high risk of all and um so i i do care passionately about that and i think that it's not all about the money and it's not all about the success and not all about the glitz it's about your your well-being um mm. So that's why I'm here. Anyway. I think I think it's a really interesting point, Jim, about um, you know you tend to look after yourself last, and you, you spend your time looking after other people because we put so much pressure, don't we, on managers to get things right for their teams and to look after their teams better, and leaders to get everything right in terms of setting the right culture for people to be able to thrive. But actually, yeah. it's easy to forget that they are humans and they have their own capacity and capability, and sometimes we just end up putting more and more on them without giving them the adequate support they need like who's looking mm. for those people exactly exactly yeah yeah so that's, a, that's a, a a very powerful point well i think you know quite, quite often you don't know what you don't know do you i mean you, you in my case i um i am rather long in the tooth and um I, I discovered that i was and i had to look up the actual definition of it effectively what it meant i was so depressed i couldn't function on at pretty much any level so that socially personally professionally whatever uh, in these mild words that got written in a clinical report when um when i was um you know nearly 60 and and so uh, i went into therapy and learned a huge amount and this is one of the reasons that i trained to be a mental health first aider and Again, why I'm sitting here today because because my my whole life has changed. I've never been depressed before, as far as I know, and uh, I learned a whole new vocabulary towards the sort of twilight years of my life. And I think I've been so better um, able to to be the best version of me if I'd learned all this stuff as a child or as a teenager or as a school, or whatever. And, and I think things are changing. We're getting to the point now where it's it's acceptable to talk about mental health in a way that just wasn't not that long ago. In fact, it's still not really acceptable in a lot of circles, um, but it's getting increasingly easier to, to, to talk about. And companies are, are training up mental health first aiders and beginning to 
pay more than just lip service to it, but I still don't think it's any, anywhere near enough. Um, and, and and you still keep hitting that kind of uh, uh, wall where people say, just, you know, have a cup of tea, <laughs> stiff up a lip, you know, go back in, do it again. Um, well, this is the CIPD report um, earlier this year, which showed that workplace absences are at the highest level in over 10 years. Yeah. And um, mental health issues were the cause of 63% of extended absences from work. So despite the fact that there has been such an emphasis on let's have mental health first aiders and let's all talk about mental health and let's have all these webinars with training and stuff, the trend still seems to be going in the wrong direction. There's There was data from um, a study in uh, Q3 of 2022-23, antidepressants were the most prescribed class of drugs so we're, we're still seem to be going in the wrong direction and it's um it's like at what point do we do we put the brakes on and say what what fundamentally is going wrong i don't know what are your thoughts david or mantha well i would say definitely just hearing jim speak there i mean i i think that's just so many questions that i would have around that straight away which is like we sort of we've put that timeline in place haven't we from childhood to, to where we are all now um you know are we doing enough when we onboard people into businesses are we doing enough when we are managers do we actually um calibrate that's the word i thought i must say that word when we come on to today calibrate you know do you know your people well enough to know what a good day looks like for them or what their worst day looks like for them how can you sit in front of someone and calibrate them if you spend in total less than an hour with them in the, in any financial year so mm -hmm. I always use that the, the wonderful animal that is an octopus when we talk about things like mental health, because it's not just one tentacle, is it? It's eight, probably. Um, and, and these things cross over so much. So I would I would definitely want to hear even more if it was OK from Jim and David, mm -hmm. because I think that's what helps us understand at which point can we make a difference to an individual uh, by hearing real life real life stories and how people are navigating on a day-to-day because -day. I bet Jim those words that were written on that piece of paper how did anyone have any idea including yourself that that's where you were at you know uh, yeah well exactly exactly I mean the words were moderately depressed I think that was that was um um uh, 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 an interesting thing really because the three stages of depression that we talk about are are mild, moderate, and acute, and acute is where you're topping yourself and a risk, and you're psychotic, and people are out there on suicide watch and so on. Um, and um, mild is basically anxiety, the kind that that level of very common um, mental health issues that that most of us are going to be experiencing quite a lot. And moderate is such a funny word, isn't it? I mean, moderate feels to me like it's moi it's all right you put up with that but actually when uh, when when I, it's my solicitor who said um you know you uh um how are you going to respond to this and actually knew what it meant more than i did so i went and looked it all up and then discovered that technically it meant i couldn't function and um and it, that, that was that was that was a a, a huge um wake-up call but i you know, I've been to university and I spent my life learning endlessly because that's what happens in startup lands. You, you, most people who do con constant jumping, serial entrepreneur type stuff is because they get bored very quickly. And the, the moment something gets operational, they have enough of that, they move on and do something else. And, uh, and so you're constantly learning and that's part of the buzz of it. So you think that, why did I not learn that stuff in all that other stuff? You know, and it's just not out there. It's not talk to people and um and you know i'm not beating anybody else up about this and there's no i'm not not looking for somebody to blame but it does make me wonder that you know I, I i should have been equipped with that understanding much 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 earlier um yeah, and you yeah. Wonder that's, where that's supposed to come from in terms of i mean you mentioned earlier on about you know from almost being like school, school age like where where do people get educated in this stuff and it's you know whether you're at school because school is supposed to be about educating a whole person not just you know literacy and numeracy and so on and um you then go into jobs and is it is it a responsibility of every employer to go through that induction process um i would argue yes 
but what you know that's going to be very hit and miss depending on the quality of that and whether that's even available but there is a massive gap isn't there because you know you said you were much later on in life when you suddenly got this diagnosis yeah yes yes there's definitely a gap i mean i think um in in the states where everybody has a therapist or you're a nobody kind of thing which is which is um not meant as a joke it's it's it, um it's just so normal to have somebody to be bouncing off and you learn these things very early on and it's not um it's it's not like a a status thing or a, a box one has to tick you learn the, the language of it so i find talking to americans about mental health much 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 easier than talking to english people um because it's just taken for granted that you kind of need to to see people to mm. whatever defuse and um, figure out what's making you tick um and so you learn the language of of um of depression or um other mental health uh, can i ask jim how you felt in yourself so you're obviously you're very competent and educated and successful in your world of work how did it feel when you got this diagnosis and you realize that you're as vulnerable as the next person in terms of it's happened to you well i um i i, I was actually really relieved um i uh, was i was i was experiencing um something that i now know to be a fairly classic symptom of depression um where i couldn't face doing any of the admin in my business anymore so i was um um watching the posts stack up and i had two i had two drop dead deadlines that i needed to worry about that kept coming around on a rolling basis one was the time where i needed to pay the bills and pay the salaries and stuff every month and the other one was the vat return once every three months and they just used to completely freak me out and I was watching piles of posts build up and then usually on a rainy Sunday afternoon, I would just go and steal myself and wade through. And it was always a, a pointless fear because um, in that particular business, it's actually a, a small niche construction business. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's quite easy to lose money in any business and just as easy to lose money in a construction business. And the margins are fairly small and the competition's huge and, 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 and so on. But it, you, there's a fairly basic set of rules that you've got to stick to to keep the business afloat. So it's not rocket science. It's not a um, hugely risky brand new software organization or whatever. It's um, you know, it's um, it's fairly straightforward. And we weren't losing money, and we were bit we were able to pay our bills. And I had absolutely zero reason to worry. So I couldn't understand why I was getting so freaked out by it. And and my um, my personal life that was meshing in with all of this was um being badly affected by the fact that I'd lost the sight of my eye and that was a retinal detachment that went misdiagnosed and 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 reference to earlier to my sister was that I decided to sue the person who misdiagnosed me because there was a it was a schoolboy rookie textbook error uh, clear as a bell my retina was detaching and this guy had a look in my eye and said you're fine and gave me a new glasses prescription and um, so when my retina fell off completely, um, my life changed, you know, so I could no longer cycle in a peloton because it was just too dangerous. I couldn't use tools. I'm in a construction business. I can't use tools. And um, uh, I, uh, I I found even reading sheet music at a piano difficult because if I had to go too far up the, the keyboard, I couldn't be sure that my fingers were going to hit the right point because my eyes were telling me the wrong thing. You know, punching cupboards with my fist every day. I had to sell my motorbike. Um, which I'm sure my family thought was a very good idea anyway, but <laughs> um, um, my, my life basically changed. And so I, I learned much later, having um, uh, gone into therapy, that I was experiencing grief and that you can experience grief about anything that you lose. Mm. Uh, I, I guess it's a huge learning for me. I thought you grieved human beings who died or pets or whatever, but, but um, the loss of something, the fundamental change in your life or something can cause you to grieve and the symptoms of grief and depression are almost identical and the first job of a therapist as my therapist explained to me was to figure out whether I was grieving or depressed or both and what the connection might be and and um and pretty quickly came to the, came to the conclusion that I had every right to 
grieve. At the same time, we just discovered that my my wife, who had um, gone through um, breast cancer ages ago, 2008, um, had been diagnosed with secondaries in her lungs. And so I was grieving probably for that as well. And and I still didn't think, I, I couldn't understand, why am I why am I so scared of the money in this business? Because I sold a software business comfortably. I'm, uh, I'm not burdened by the kind of cares that would make me need to worry about money. You know, savings, I've got no mortgage, I've got, you know, so, so um, I, I really, really, really didn't understand it. And then, and then what this lovely therapist did was take me on a journey, which got me a year later to the point where she connected the dots and, or I connected the dots with her help. And I had deep, deep, deep rooted issues from my childhood that were being dragged into play by my my well-being or lack thereof at that particular point in my life. And, and I'm so grateful that I got taken on that journey because I now know so much more about myself, my background, my family, what makes me tick, the things I need to watch out for, things, the spaces I don't want to go into. But, it, but, but what it gave me most fundamentally was the awareness that every single human being on this planet has that same existence. They've had their experiences, they're carrying the baggage, and it's in most cases buried, 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 buried. But when that gets triggered somehow, snagged up into life somehow, then you know your world falls apart. And if if anybody goes on the same kind of journey as, as as I did. I know that's going to take them a long time to get to the bottom of, of that. And I, so much of what happened to me might have been easier if I'd learned the vocabulary a lot earlier or had people who cared about that kind of thing earlier. Back, back in my childhood, when the when the traumatizing events were all happening, I, um, I, I was actually at a very Spartan, cruel boarding school, which was had its own litany of cruel events going on as well. So it was all about barrier, 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 and protection, 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 and bury, bury, bury. And, you know, um, so uh, I, I think society's moved on a bit, um, but hopefully boarding schools are less cruel and fewer people go to them. And, um, and uh, <laughs> uh, we're able to talk about the, the, the things that, could lead longer term into into big depressions, but I don't think we're there yet, actually. Uh, but I think I, I see an upward line there. It's, it's fascinating hearing your story, Jim. I mean, you've packed so much in there. I I know I've heard it when we've we've spoken before, but I you're, what you're saying. I mean, there's just so much that you you've experienced, and I think your point about everyone has their backstory, everyone has this experience, and you don't. They might be aware of it, they might not. They might be coming into work knowing that they're struggling with stuff or not knowing that something could unexpectedly trigger it in the workplace yeah. and catch them off guard. And whether that's a particular voice or a particular look of someone or a particular room or, I mean, it could be anything that could be a trigger and we don't know what that is. Um, yeah. I don't think that's, you know, when people keep that as kind of hidden knowledge because either they don't know it themselves or that actually they don't feel they can talk about it and say, you know, I really struggle with this particular situation or when I'm in, in that context, um, that's a real trigger for me. You know, triggers are, understanding workplace triggers, I think, are really, really important. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Can I, can I, can I just ask David? Because, I, I mean, you come into, you, you see so many different businesses like you say as a as an alliance manager and when you're I was you know I'm always observing people and when, when we hear stories like like Jim's and first of all Jim thank you so much for sharing because your vulnerability may just be the door opening moment for someone watching this that says actually that feels like me actually mm. or I or I or I resonate with what you're saying or I can you you're validating their experience in some way shape or form so yeah I, I know yeah. I know I know you tell your story and it's the first time I've heard it and it takes courage to do that but David from your from your perspective I mean how do we not know stories like that are walking through the door every day in the workplace how do we not know that do you think yeah absolutely and um first of all Jim lovely to meet you on here and 
really refreshing um, to hear you so open about what what you've experienced. Without without going into in, into too much detail, uh, you know, about seventeen years ago, I hit a brick wall, um, depression, anxiety. Um, I went into therapy. And then I studied to be a psychotherapist, didn't finish, but I, I studied that journey, sat with clients, loved it. Right. And so here I am now, I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, Thames Valley chamber role and I'm kind of caretaking, looking at what businesses are doing. Okay. Looking at what's working and I love to hear what works and I love to hear what doesn't work. And in your story, one of the things that, I mean, two parts to what to what you were saying before we started the recording we were talking about mental health first aiding and um reducing the stigma and you know why organizations kind of weren't treating mental health in in parity with physical health you know that kind of thing and then in your story what i was what i love to hear was kind of what came to you in in your therapy right like and i can only imagine and i'm not putting words in your mouth but um just from my own experience of therapy and you know that journey with the client that space to let things unfold to make the connections with childhood and you know suddenly these things which kind of floor us we uh take back to earlier things and and suddenly we're, we're making sense and and we're less hidden to ourselves but moving on from that because i don't want to give you another to the audience another story of that although you know perhaps that's for a, for, for another webinar looking at what organizations are doing i always keep one eye open on okay so we've got teams of mhfas going on we've got you know various campaigns whether it's lloyd's group doing this is me campaign or johnson and johnson doing healthy minds or you know Boopa will do wellness action you know all, all these big organizations doing these initiatives what i'm really keen on unearthing is okay but where's the evidence that it's working where's the evidence i mean lisa you 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 know kind of suggested that we're still going in the wrong direction absolutely it's not working whatever we're doing is not working presenteeism and absenteeism you know it's it's, I mean, this is broad stroke stuff, but it's not working. But I bet you, I bet you in Jim's organization, right, Jim is working because Jim will have a sensor out for anyone who's who's experiencing this, right? Jim, when he's managing, and I know I'm putting words in your mouth, Jim, but um, being from a commercial background myself, I'm, I'm envious of what, what you do, but, you know, as you as you look across your teams and as you're driving this growth in this high risk, edgy kind of you know who you know pipeline development stuff, I bet you are aware, and people who work with you are in your middle management roles are aware to be able to hear, notice, listen, feel if something's not quite right. Now, just to add to that as well. I'm monologuing a bit, but just to add, right, my confession. So, you know, it's the past 17 years for me that I've been, you know, dealing with my depression, right? I call it my depression. And when I when I look at the organizations that I've worked with, which are probably about six organizations over that period of time, there's not one organization, in, including my current one, that I feel comfortable talking about what I experience, right? And it boils down to to uh, to something that I am guessing you probably are fostering in your organization, and that's trust. Because awareness, in my experience, and in talking with organization, it can it and and it all comes down to the individual. Some individuals, for you know, an awareness of it and being able to just speak in the coffee room or speak one to one with someone, that kind of helps them through that that experience and that's wonderful and and reducing the stigma 
and more awareness is, is brilliant. But for someone like me, you know, I, I need about 50 hoops jump, jump through before I can share my, I'm really struggling today. That's all I would probably need to say to someone who understood, right? Why can't I say that? It's because even if I think they understand, I don't think that they will forgive me. And what I mean by that is I think that, um, and this is where trust comes in. I think that there's still a, a very much a big culture of, well, as long as you do your job, Dave, I will give you the sympathy, but you better do your job. At the oh. bottom line, the results are compassionately listened to you. But at the end of the day, it's job first done, please. Oh. While we then sympathize about what you're going through, which is very different from what you experienced and I experienced in therapy. And it, and it, and it, and, and unless you've experienced it, from what I see, and some leaders have, and some middle managers have, there isn't the capacity to to forgive and be nimble and 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 to move on with that person without walking on eggshells. And I don't want to walk on eggshells. You know, Amantha and and Lisa, you'll know Stuart well. Sorry to put another person in the room. You know, Stuart doesn't walk on eggshells. He said, this is what he struggles with. Jim, you don't walk on eggshells. You're very open with what you struggle with. And people can, you, you obviously feel that people can respect you and that you get on with your job. That's what I want. But I don't. And, and so my focus is also on looking at organizations and, you know, apart from all the signposting and reducing stigma and, uh, and, and awareness, where's the trust element built into the leadership element and how does that kind of you know how it because that's how the culture is changed and I, that's me end of monologuing but that's my that's my take on it and my my challenge to any any organization with all these wonderful initiatives david that was really powerful hearing that and i would love to ask you what would you need to be experiencing for you to feel that trust because I bet there'll be some people who listen to this who have worked in some of the organizations you've been part of who, who will be saying of course you can trust us of course we have a trusting culture here and you know people will be talking about well, we do that but you haven't experienced that and of course it's our perceptions our own unique understanding of what's going around us that is what's important so do you have advice if you could be if you could be advising the people within a current organisation or others, about what it is you actually need for you to be able to feel confident saying those words, I'm struggling, what would that be? That's a, that, that's a really good question. And um, honestly, I think it's about feeling like someone's, and this is, this is kind of macro, um, feeling like someone's got your back and feeling as though you really do trust them like um you know when you feel someone's got your back when you're having a bad day they they just allow for that and it doesn't cloud um their opinion of you or what they still know you're capable of right there's there's that unwritten okay give give this guy a break and i think that i've got your back um being an introvert and being very observant and stuff i i guess i pick up my cues from talking about other things right and you know i'll kind of you know start being related to the person and i will judge okay how far does this go and then i watch that person in relationship with other people in the team and i see how I, I see whether they really listen to that person and so these are the hoops that I suppose I I put everyone through in my circle of friends you know Do, are they really listening to me mm. are they really giving me the feeling that actually I'm safe to share this and when I because I I've, I will share but I'll share it 
in bite-sized portions to see how they handle it. Mm. And if they if they handle that with the acceptance and compassion and all these all these lovely words um and understanding, I'll then share a little bit more. If they don't, if if I get the stiff up lip or well no, we really need to just um push through this because I need the best from you right now. Right? Um knowing that I'm gonna deliver my best, but if you could understand when I'm not feeling that way, boy, I could be even better for you, right? You know, mm. we could be tight and we could do, you know, workplace culture and man, we could transform this place. We'd all work together, you know, all this stuff. So I think it is about drawing it down, asking question, is it is about that relationship. It comes down to the quality of relationship. If I worked for Jim, right? I'm I'm just surmising. Boy, I would know. Jim would understand. If I say, Jim, I'm having a hell of a day. Jim would say, Dave, I'm sure. Take what you need. Let's do this another time. He would. And and we would do it another time. And that, that what Jim has given me, I'll be like, Jim's got my back. Great. Now, I'm feeling great today, Jim. Can we, you know, it's about that relationship and trust. But isn't it also the case that people are their own worst enemies because they they need to let go as well. You know, if somebody goes into a situation in, in a workplace setting with the with their to-do list centre stage and they're having a bad day, they don't let go of the to-do list. They they carry on having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and realistically, they need to be able to give themselves permission to cut loose from the to-do list what they're looking for is for somebody else to cut them loose from the to-do list. And that's part of the journey. If you're working with colleagues who say, look, you don't need to sweat this. Don't, don't sweat it. Just come back to this tomorrow or next week or, or whatever. Um, look after yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and, that, and that's so interesting because from both of your perspectives, so, I mean, the thing that Lisa and I often say about is we'll come from a different perspective. And what I heard that the bridging word between both of your experience there is rapport because we know that trust has to be earned you know we like David saying David's got his mechanisms for determining can I trust this person or can I be really open and it comes back down to that those compassionate conversations doesn't it, it comes back down to actually um, I was on a call with a client this morning he said to me sorry I'm late but I actually welcomed a new employee in this morning I went brilliant how lovely and he said yeah wasn't what everyone else wanted to do though he said basically they wanted to meet her at lunchtime he said my concern was if I didn't create the right tone with her we might not have that employee by the end of today he said it really matters how we bring people in and so that whole rapport building rapport and I was I was almost going to reach for my model which I've now got because really what we're talking about with the brain is that is our threat center. Our threat center is far superior to anything words can convey. So we all operate from a place of feeling. If you get a good feeling about someone, you get a bad feeling about someone. A good feeling about a situation, a bad feeling about a situation. That's what we're all responding to. So are we prepping? Are we are we creating work as an environment where people are gonna? I use the word loosely and I don't mean it to be loaded, fail. That's managers failing. That's employees feeling like they're failing because we don't invest enough in getting to know people, welcoming them, dialing down that whole threat experience for them and dialing up that whole rapport experience, which is, do you know what? I really feel like I know David. And I know, David, there's been times where you've messaged me or I've messaged you or I've messaged Lisa because you just know people well enough by the way, Jim, do you know, we've never met each other in real life. We've only all, well, I've only <laughs> met these two through a screen. So it is possible to understand people to a certain level, but it's no substitute for walking down to the foyer and meeting someone at the door and go, welcome, mm. really looking forward to you. It's your first day type thing, setting the tone. Totally. Yeah. And, what, and what you both, Jim and David, you both said is about that space to have make the connections, either make the connections for yourself between what you're experiencing and what's gone before or 
but we're, we're whether we're talking about connections with each other and rapport or connections with how I'm feeling what's going on in my workplace with my colleagues it all comes down to space and the, the problem that exists in so many companies now as I had a conversation with um, a legal company this morning who was saying they need to do something radical about well-being in their organization because there's been so much change it's all going out the window and we're thinking about bringing in and having this kind of blanket training for everybody and doing this stuff and it's like actually just put the brakes on just ask just have good conversations don't bring in another layer of something that's going to be another layer of we're doing this to you and it's another layer of complexity and something else to take on it's almost hit pause and just take a step back and just have really good conversations and create the space to get to know each other and get to know what you know we what feeling good means for me what performing well means for me what actually a good day at work feels like for me is it just getting to the end of it and going home or is it I've you know met with a certain number of my colleagues or you know what is it I want to get from work and when we understand that and we can communicate that with the people around us we begin to build that rapport and those relationships and that trust with each other and when someone motivates each other and we get to know then when people aren't having a good day you know we notice those signs more that someone is struggling and perhaps we might say to them you don't look your usual self what's going on rather than relying on them to speak up and say I'm struggling but the space bit is the really key bit for me that we just need to create more of can I ask Jim a question certainly um all right so with your team and with your experience um you know before and after kind of going through your you know experience with with depression what do you do differently now with your people um that you notice makes a difference to the you know whether you call it workplace well-being culture positive workplace well-being culture whatever what do you do yeah yeah if you can I think, say something about that i think whatever term you put on it i think mental health has to be center stage so you know you've all got to be feeling good and, and one of the analogies is um i um you've, in, in businesses is is all, all, all these tv shows about um buying property in nice places I mean, it's all location, location, location. And people who buy property quite quickly realise it's not the location, it's the people that's important. You end up with good neighbours or bad neighbours and it makes your life amazing or horrible. And it's got nothing to do with, you know, the single glazing or the bevel dash or the... It's actually down to the people. And it's the difference between a startup environment, which I love, and a, an up-and-running environment is that the startup is all about building and creating. So you, you have that freedom to create the thing you want. And, it, and if you end up with a, a bad result, you built a bad business, then that's bad on typically a couple of levels. One, it could be it might just not be able to make money. Um, so that's the economic side of it. But you might have built a kind of old mishmash of getting the wrong people in who don't get on together. And then they don't get that trust. You don't get that rapport. You don't get all pulling together, looking after each other and catching each other when you fall over. And that's... When you go into that consciously, like you can build environments that do that. So you're looking for people that work well together. And and you encourage from the get-go that that forum of um, you know, we can be good with each other, we can look after each other, and we understand that you know, there are certain things that trump everything else, you know, yeah. and um and you shouldn't make it difficult. whatever level it is, you know, and go into an up and running. Uh, environment perhaps like that legal firm you were talking about just now he said uh, where you know the, the the playbooks have been written over the last 20 30 40 years and um and so there is a way of doing something so when a colleague you know is one of the classic examples you're somebody who suddenly gets a call that their child's sick and and what do they do they've got a report they've got to finish they've got a meeting they've got to get to they've got to possibly drive 20 miles through the rain they've got you know freak out now a kind company just says unequivocally go and an up and running business probably won't they'll be they'll you'll be jumping through a lot of hoops to do it and you won't have the support of the people around you to sort that stuff because they all know that they you know they're reinventing the rule book to support you and it's a it it's a much much bigger reverse engineered sort of 
cultural change to change that thing around. But it still comes back down to the people. And I think the the ongoing recruitment and training is is where it, it happens and where it starts to make a difference. But uh, I, I find it much easier to, to build something rather than to change something. Um, so when you're in that startup mode, Jim, and you, and you've got these these frenetic geniuses around you who are who are like going at 150 miles an hour because it's startup mode, right? And and it's it's all about getting those initial results going. If one of you, one of those um, trailblazers is kind, you know, doing great work, slams up against a brick wall of say, there's a there's a loss, you know, someone personal to them and grief hits them and 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 then they go into a deep dark depression right i'm curious that how you would have responded before your experience and how you would respond now and because and and i and let me let me just contextualize this slightly all right just to just to complicate it further right i there's part of me really sympathetic to to an organization that just has to get the job done bottom line has to do it and mental health has no place in the workplace i i hear myself say that and i know i'm just guilty saying but i also understand that dynamic of you have to get results or or there's no business to to be kind in right like there is that interplay so i'm curious for yourself you know if you don't mind me asking what would be the difference now facing that scenario with that hot hot guy yeah well i i i I don't think i went through a particularly um radical change as a human being i i learned a lot so i think now i'd have a more i'd have more vocabulary i'd have a i'd be able to nuance it much much better whereas i think um the younger me was potentially also so i mean if i go back to one of my earlier businesses which was a digital health tech business and that was sort of very much that working every hour that um um that's sent to you and uh you know 24 7 365 and everybody does it and uh and and one of our founding team um was reeling from um the loss of her husband who had taken his own life and and in in most business environments that would have meant she couldn't be a founder member of this business but we embraced that as a way of giving her a safe space where she could start to function again and I think that's because the people that like me who'd started this business together because there were like three founders and then the team that we built was six in total so we um um for, for, for day one of the business um were if I look back, I think compassionate and um, I, it's difficult to teach that kind of thing. And I, I guess to a certain extent, I probably had that anyway. I think I'm compassionate with myself, which enabled me to go on the journey that I was going on. Um, but to answer your question, I think I might have made more mistakes in old gym and not known how to put it into words in old gym. But I think fundamentally I was st- still off of that sort of persuasion and i i i think what one of the um oddest things about human existence is that you end up with all the experience you need to do well in life at the end of your life rather than <laughs> at the beginning of your life and you know you should, you should know all this stuff when you're 20 but um so um, can i ask then so it's addressing now all the old gyms who are out there <laughs> and yeah. the and the people who maybe um, aren't so naturally compassionate what would be your advice to them in terms of supporting and looking out for people who that they're, who they're working with um so perhaps people that they're managing or just or their colleagues or or anyone that they're sort of in contact with what would be your advice about trying to make that experience for them as good as it can be if actually yeah. that compassion isn't just part of who they're anyway I think empathy, I think you can teach empathy. And I mean, people, you've got to think yourself into the other person's shoes. But these, these, this person's going through hell at the moment. And, and if you can't think like them and 
understand it from their perspective, you'll you'll never be able to deal with them sensibly. And um, um, I think that that is absolutely fundamental. And sometimes it can be quite difficult in a you know a startup environment because you tend to have at the very early stage people who are multitasking like crazy because they're not all masters of everything or geniuses at everything um and there aren't enough people around to cover everything off but you do tend to get to that point where each person's a silo so you're in your own little space doing your thing and it's quite difficult to do empathy in that because you don't really understand what's going on in that person's brain mm. um what those what their particular stresses and strains are but i i, I do think that you know there's sort of do unto yourself as you would be done by or do unto others as you would be whatever excuse me i'm misquoting like crazy now the um is is the role that i would like to see acted upon by everybody in an in, in a working environment i mean it's what we do at home hopefully you know when a uh, when one of your ch- uh, children horrible to another one of your children you stop them and say what do you think that feels like you know it's sort of it's so easy and natural when it's your own family to be nurturing like that and training people and we should do it in the workplace too and and isn't that though though that's isn't that our biggest hurdle uh because you only know what you know you know whatever the last training course you went on whatever the last conversation you assimilated because we don't formally put people through management training or leadership training you're literally coming with a whole load of life experience and if your experience has been that you've been spoken to in a certain way dealt in a certain way I always say with that saying, walk, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes doesn't really cut it for me. It's it's almost like you've got to walk a mile in someone else's shoes in the way that they walk, not how you would walk. Um, mm. and, and I had a client this week who deals in insolvency. They've never been busier, sadly. Um, and that's the first thing that this person said to me. And he, and he talked about a client. And he said, I'm just feeling so frustrated. And that frustrated just turning to stress, lack of sleep. So this individual was really struggling with that. But because this person hasn't been trained, they, they didn't understand how to sit in perceptually in someone else's shoes. So actually, do we need to train our managers to understand what perceptiveness is like? You know, how can you perceive someone else's situation? Because you may not have experienced it yourself. You know, I find this in my menopause work. You know, young managers have no idea what it's like to be a 50 something juggling spinning so many plates juggling so many balls how would they but actually if you teach people how to sit in someone else's shoes to be an impartial bystander who looks at all the behavior and says how would that all stack up you know those reflection points are like absolute diamonds for people um and my and we did have a bit of a laugh because my client said do I have to wear a dress to be my client you know because they were you know and I said well it's optional if it helps in character obviously go for it but but the you know the, the reality was that person took huge learnings from that that were in a safe place with someone who was a, you know encouraging that vulnerability to go well what do you think it would feel like okay. and actually what came out of it was i wish i could you know document it more publicly but what came out was a great action plan going back to the client actually saying look i think we could have done more whereas at the beginning of any conversation we're quite resentful or we're quite defensive and Mm. that just keeps those patterns of behaviors going doesn't it so that the next time someone says i'm answer i've got a problem people are already running into right i'm on attack mode here or i'm now going to make it very clear to them i need that job done whatever you're feeling we're not even going to get into that because i know where that takes us i need that from you and so so maybe we're doing a massive disservice to people i myself was dropped in in a management role that i was unprepared for in the pharmaceutical industry as a great salesperson i was not I was not prepped to be a great manager, which is why I stepped away from that role. Um, and I think that's such a shame because knowing what I know now, like you said, Jim, you know, bit of self-praise here. I think I'd be great at that because I, I, I've i learned from those experiences. So how do we, you know, we've all said we're not doing enough. The, the trajectory on this is is not in the place that we want it to be. If we had to think of some solutions that we could actively get behind as four people who understand how powerful this is, what actions would we want to get behind that we really think, actually, if we if we were waving a banner for, we could make a difference with from this starting point? Well, they're, they're 
that's a very very good question uh, uh, i don't know i don't know if i've got a good universal panacea for that i mean certainly in, in startup lands like the um uh, the situation in which i met the company that i'm now working with um i, I, I was doing a lot of mentoring and at, at early stage businesses uh at a very early stage are usually extremely enthusiastic bunnies jumping up and down with a fantastic idea and no real knowledge about whether it's actually going to work and so it's all that kind of you know jumping across the chasm and um and uh and people who are starting businesses like that are like natural born salespeople because they are so enthusiastic they win deals because people get they, they find the enthusiasm magnetic and they uh, they they want to be on that journey with you and so on and they might have had no formal training in uh in the actual sales process that once once it becomes more structural becomes more difficult and then think okay what's the missing bit there's the, there's the training really so um it's a good insight into what else is going to come down the track with with, with them they're going to probably be doing that thing where they're logging uh, out at one o'clock in the morning and not getting enough sleep and then catching a, a flight the next day and um and you do that day in, day out, and in, and slowly but surely things go fat. You know, your family goes fat, your health goes fat, your you know, relationships go fat, and um, and all you're doing is trying to get this business to a successful point. So, the learning that I have, I've been there, I've done that myself, I, uh, and I've watched colleagues do that. And now, uh, back 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 in back in those days, it was people would say, "What you mean?" In, I mean, you're logging out at nine o'clock in the evening. I'm staying online until one o'clock, you know, whatever. There might be a sense of that going on. But now I will say to anybody at that very early stage, look, do not do not make your bedroom a boardroom. Do not stay up late on emails and stuff because the, the, the bar is where you put it. And if you put that bar at that point, you'll never get it lower again. So put the bar, you know, family time, not working weekends, doing whatever these things are. And, and and you will be just as successful. You know, you've got to make your own luck. You've got to remember the the one the, you know, the, the exceptions to those rules. When that phone call comes in that you know is going to be the multi-million dollar deal and it happens to be at 9.30 when you're watching your favorite TV show, you should probably answer it. But they should be exceptions rather than the, you know, the the, the rule. And um and I and I find that people who genuinely manage to achieve that. From the get-go are happier and and better as a result and, and, and interesting with that a construction company that i was um, running with a good friend of mine i'd sold my last digital health debt business and i just kind of had it with software so it was a certain kind i just wanted to be hands-on creative mucking around in the dirt and enjoy myself and when we went into business together the two of us i said um it's for my part there's one ground rule here and and that is that we've this has got to be fun and if it's not fun we've got to do what it takes to make it fun again and we've got to stop i'm not going to be um chaining myself to a grindstone here and, and he and he thankfully said totally agree with that and that became the rule so actually when i when i got into my depressed state and was going in therapy one of the things i learned about therapy was that the trigger for me was going to be continually having to deal with the admin in a back office disconnected from other people and i should not be doing that kind of thing now because i couldn't very well wander around building sites with only one eye safely um and somebody needed to do that work i knew somebody else needed to do that work so i backed out of that business and uh, um went back into into the, the world of uh, early stage high tech businesses, which was it's probably something I wouldn't have done if I hadn't had that all those experiences and learnings um, to enable myself to tell myself that. And um, I, I, you know, I shudder to think I probably would have just carried on getting more and more and more depressed and, uh, mm. and until something awful happened. And um, I hope people listening to to you yeah. explain that so well, Jim, means that people will have that wake up call earlier maybe it'll help prompt people to think, am yeah. i doing the thing that is fun am i enjoying what i do um yeah. is it such an important part isn't it actually having feeling happy and a sense of enjoyment from your work that 
feeds good mental health and how many people are such in jobs that they really despise they just do it because it's a job so i love that rule golden rule we should all have that one one business that i worked in you know fantastic account manager brilliant really really worked well on the team everyone loved this guy really really good right new manager comes in um you know performance appraises him a little bit early puts him on warning and he gets signed off he's he's anxious his blood you know all this health problems cut long story short we lose the guy right um and because of the culture of the organization and and the leadership and the reflection and and how they perceive that Still, the story in that organisation is, oh well, it was his, his problem, right? Now, the accounts that we say lost or didn't maintain because of that, and the fallout, the business cost, everything else, everything else. While we protecting the leadership who can't quite understand that everyone in the organisation knows, but bar that top leadership you know that that intelligence to be able to you know it's it's part emotional intelligence the empathy and compassion and building trust it's also part of taking ownership on the effect of okay what are the decisions that we're making that we're pushing through the pipeline but but, but then we don't listen you know listening Stuart will always say right Lisa mm. the ability to be able to listen to your people to, to listen to one another Ooh. That is often the oil, which which when we're looking at what works and what doesn't work with mental health, you get different organisations trying different things. At the moment, it's very crowded. You know, whether that's MHFA stuff, whether it's, you know, a particular implementation of something. If if you've got the compassion and the ability to listen, you, you can probably improve things, right? You really can. We have to wrap up because we have... I mean, we could carry on having this conversation for at least another hour, I know. Um, there's so much more to be said, but I'm conscious of time. Um, my advice would be to for people to listen to, you know, once they've listened to this conversation, actually to get other people within their teams to listen to this conversation that we're having today um, and just to see what resonates with people and what kind of, um, what prompts people to think slightly differently about their own practice, their own way of doing things. Um, and also obviously get people to, um, suggest that they download the resource. So the resource that goes with this, which is all about anxiety and depression, is full of lots of um, interesting uh, ideas and strategies and advice around how to think about it differently um, at an individual level and working with teams. So it's really practical. That's part of what Amantha and I are focusing on through the Resilience Collective. So download that, read it. Again, discuss it as a team. I think the value of all of this, and I think that's what's come out today, is the value of conversation. So when people sit down and talk about what resonates for them, what is it that they think, you know, they want to focus on in terms of doing something differently for themselves or for other people, or they want something different from other people for themselves. Um, so just beginning to have conversations around, you know, the ideas we've talked about today, the ideas that are in the, the resource that people can download. Um, Amantha, I'm going to hand over to you. Do you want to do you want to finish us off in terms of with the Resilience Collective following us on LinkedIn? Yeah. So, um, so we first of all, thank you so much for giving your time. We can't do these conversations without generous people like David and Jim. So, thank you so much for your time. And so, what we would like to do is, um, we'll put your details if you're happy. You're both on LinkedIn, I would imagine. Uh, we'll put those details in the show notes so people can be in touch with you. But if everybody, including our guests, would like to follow the hashtag the Resilience Collective, um, you'll find our stuff on LinkedIn. But you'll get this podcast either by sound, video the resource will be available we will post those um to remind people there's already one resource already available which is the stress episode which was our first one so people can collect these um and we've put a lot of time we've taken the leg workout so that you don't have to do it and they're all clickable links um all referenced and these would be great things to use as well-being training yourself or workshops or getting in, in touch with lisa or i so we will be putting this out and um, and obviously, if people would like to be in touch with either Jim or David, we would really encourage them to do that because they have so much more value to give. Lisa, have I missed anything out? 
I don't think so. Other than to say again, thank you so much, Jim and David, for joining us today. Really grateful. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Good to meet you all. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I invite you to think about one thing that you will take away to think about or do differently. I'd be really grateful if you can give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brand point, leave me a short review. I'm really keen to help drive real change for better practice in the world of people at work and spreading the message will help that. I'd love you to also join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things that I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. Please do reach out to me directly to discuss the topics covered on this podcast or perhaps other challenges around people at work. And if we're not already acquainted on LinkedIn, please connect. All the links you need are in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you.